This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo of MLBPipeline.com. Another draft is in the books. We have had a couple of days to let all the picks simmer a little bit. And Jonathan and Jim are already looking ahead to 2018 and picking their uh, top 50. I I kid, guys. I kid. Not yet. Uh, But soon enough. Uh, We're going to use this podcast to look back on the draft. Uh, Jonathan and Jim are going to give us their opinions on who made the best pick in each of the first five rounds, uh, given the picks they had to choose from. If you're tuning into the podcast for the first time, you maybe don't know what happened in the draft, but I would guess that if you're tuning in here, you're aware. We'll go through the first five anyway. The Twins took Royce Lewis, speedy high school shortstop at one. The Reds went with Hunter Green. Uh, Jim and Jonathan's best player available at number two, the high school right-hander that throws over 100 miles an hour. The Padres took Mackenzie Gore, the high school lefty, at three. The Rays went with Brendan McKay as a first baseman at four, and the Braves took Kyle Wright at five. So I'll start with you, Jim. Overall thoughts on the draft now that we've had a couple of days to kind of look back and and study it a bit. Um, You know, the two thoughts I had were, one, it still kind of interests me that the top five players, the consensus top five, went in the first five selections. We just don't see that very often. But that did happen this year, despite a lot of talk that it might not. Um, And then, two, uh, it just seemed to me that more often than not this year, most of the top players went in the top couple rounds. It seemed like teams, you know, I I don't think we're going to necessarily see as many, you know, big-ticket signings in rounds four, five, six, it seems like teams kind of took the top players at the top, and, and then we saw a lot of college seniors uh, in, in the second half of day two. How about you, Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, in addition to the top five going, um, one of the things that I noticed you know, with that first round, uh, it's of the 30 picks, only three were not in our top 30 you know, talent rankings. So by and large, in the first round, Talent went according to plan. Uh, there were, you know, there aren't that many reaches. Uh, you know, there aren't that many deals being made to manipulate draft pools, which I mean, I don't have a problem with, mind you. But uh, just thought it was interesting that that's kind of how it went. And uh, I agree with Jim. I think you know the middle rounds there weren't that many. You know, the guys that didn't go on day one who are going to need uh, overpick value went in the third. Uh, and then those that didn't go in day two that might sign went in the 11th, which is kind of how it, how it went last year. So it's sort of following a, a familiar script. Uh, now it'll just be about getting them all signed and getting them out to go play. I guess as much chalk as you can expect uh, in the baseball draft, uh, it made it more like maybe the NBA draft or the NFL draft, where it's just best player available, best player available down the line. They go to, to the most, for the most part, uh, Jonathan, if you had to pick a team that at this point, and obviously a lot can change over the coming years, but who do you feel like had the best draft at this point? 
Well, it is my role in this podcast to play Homer. Always. Um, you know, almost always. So I will, uh, I will pick the Pirates. Uh, it's not that much of a stretch in Jim's story. I think he had them third. Uh, but I really like the, the upside that they went with uh, early on in particular, uh, especially because they're in a position where their system is thinned out a little bit. They're struggling at the big league level. They could have decided to, you know, well, we need some safe, you know, quote unquote, quicker to the big leagues kind of college guys, and they and they didn't do that. Um, you know, starting with uh, Shane Boz at, at 12 overall, but then, I mean, Steve Jennings, Cal Mitchell, and Connor Osselton uh, were all, you know, in the top 80. Um, you know, Osselton was 46, and they got him in the competitive balance round B. Uh, you know, later on they went after the sort of, you know, more college guys. Uh, but some of them are, are, are interesting. Um, I even like some of the, you know, Jared Oliva is a senior, but from Arizona, but he's got some ability. They got Cody Bolton in the sixth round, another high schooler. So uh, they were able to continue to mix in some uh, some upside guys, even uh, even in the second part of day two. Uh, so I, I really like what the, what they were able to, to, to do over the course of the draft. And, Jim, you wrote the article about uh, teams and, and the halls that they came away with, and you like the Twins. Obviously, they had the number one pick, but what was it from Royce Lewis on that impressed you about what the Twins did? Yeah, the Twins had the number one pick, and they had the highest bonus pool, and so theoretically they, they should look very good, you know, at least now before we see who signs and who doesn't sign. But, you know, look, you know, Royce Lewis, well, I think it might have been a surprise um, after, after hearing a lot of talk about Kyle Wright and Brendan McKay possibly going number one. Royce Lewis was, you know, there's nobody else in this draft who combines hit ability and tools like he did. You know, the rest of first day they got Brent Rooker out of Mississippi State who had the best performance of any college hitter this season. Um, he was actually a guy they drafted last year as a redshirt sophomore in the 38th round. They'll get him this year now. Um, they took Canadian high school right-hander Landon Leach in the second. He's kind of your your typical projectable, you know, high school righty, six foot four, up to 95 with with, with some heavy sink. Um, and then I, you know, day two, best player on our board was Blaine Enloe. They took Blaine Enloe. You know, great, very good curveball, projectable frame. They got Charlie Barnes from Clemson. A lefty with a good changeup. Uh, Central uh, Arizona Community College's uh, Riley Waldell, uh, another lefty uh, with a good changeup. They grabbed him, uh, and they got some bats. You know, Andrew Bechtold helped Chipola win the Junior College World Series. His chance to hit for power and average. Ricardo De La Torre was a, a shortstop out of Puerto Rico. Had a chance to go in the first round coming into the year. Had a bad spring, but I think get him in the sixth round was pretty interesting. And they got another kind of intriguing Puerto Rican in the 11th round, and outfielder Gabriel Rodriguez, where, where power's his best tool. So I just I thought it was a nice mix of college, high school, hitting, pitching, and using their advantages of, of having the most uh, most money and the number one pick in each round to, to, to really, you know, to their benefit. Before we get into the top five rounds and which team made the best pick in each of those rounds, we want to take a moment to tell you about the Cut Forecast. The Cut Forecast is the podcast from the staff of MLB.com's Cut Four section, which focuses on the lighter side of baseball. If you've made it this far into our podcast, 
We think you'll love that one, too. It'll make you laugh, and you might even learn something about baseball dogs or ballpark food. Last week, MLB.com reporter Allison Footer joined the pod to talk about a few of the strangest baseball stories she's ever covered. And Dakota and Gemma revealed the best places in your house to search for a hidden trove of extremely valuable baseball cards. If that sounds like something you're into, search Cut Forecast. That's C-U-T, the number 4, C-A-S-T, and iTunes or wherever else your podcasts are found. And click subscribe now on with our show. And guys, I wanted to go through the first five rounds and and it's easy enough to say this team took the highest guy in the in the top 100 or your rankings in this round and that's why they should be number one but I, I think you guys will end up going different directions so uh because Jim loves it so much we're gonna go serpentine style yeah. and because of that this time around because last time we went serpentine I gave Jonathan the first pick this time I'm gonna go with Jim in the first pick so round one Jim the twins took Royce Lewis but which team made the best choice in round one of the draft? Well, I have a question. Are we picking the the uh, comp uh, the, the competitive balance lottery round? That's a well? good. I was. I had the same logistical question. <sighs> see, see what you guys do to me, uh, Jim. You're the commissioner. <laughs> um, why don't we include? Oh no, we can't do that because teams would have a second pick. You know what? Yeah. We'll go. We'll okay. go rounds one through five, and I'll add in each of the comp rounds. Which is limited because obviously not every team right, picks, right. but we'll do that. So start with round one, no competitive balance. Okay, I'm going to interpret this not necessarily who got the best player, because you know then I would wax poetic about Mackenzie Gore for about the 30th straight podcast. But to me, the best value, I will continue to to back Jaron Kendall from Vanderbilt. I know the 25% strikeout rate. Scared some teams off, but I, I, to me, I still thought he deserved to go six to ten. The tools are that good. Even if he doesn't hit for high average, he's going to have some power. He's going to steal a bunch of bases. He's going to play quality center field. He's been productive uh, on the U.S. Collegiate National Team. He's been productive on some very good Vanderbilt teams. So I thought the Dodgers getting Jaron Kendall with the 23rd overall pick, that was my, my favorite pick of the draft. I just thought that was tremendous value right there. Jonathan, who did you like in the first round? I actually generally agree uh, with Jim, which pains me to say publicly. Um, but I will just, for the sake of adding, you know, more names. I mean, it, it, and staying also staying away from from the top of the list. Um, I think I'll probably say uh, D.L. Hall to the Orioles, because um, he's you know a really interesting high school lefty uh, whose name had been mentioned, you know, a bit higher. Um, you know, the Orioles had been very college-focused in the past, and and they sort of changed course when Hall was actually there. And, uh, you know, I think he's got an interesting combination of ceiling and polish for a high school left-hander. For, so to get him at 21, I don't think it's quite the you know, sort of value that, that I you know, I agree with Jim that Kendall appears to be at 23, uh, but I like that pick for them. All right, I've changed my mind, and we're not going to do the competitive what? balance rounds because not every team picks, so that's not fair. I did, so I did so much prep work. <laughs> Come on. We're doing the competitive balance. We're overruling you. Jonathan, who's your favorite competitive balance pick? Comp- Jeter Downs. Junior Downs. Jeter Downs. All Jeter right. Downs to the Reds at 32. All right, so we'll uh, go well, quickly. Well, 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 I don't even have I to expand on it. Too, don't I? Yeah, Come you on. can pick one, but we don't even have to break it down. Just pick a guy. Right. Tristan Letts to the Brewers. There's some talk the Brewers might take him in the first round. Like them, get him at 34, big right-handed power. So there we go. All right, on to round number two. And back to I'll go back to Jonathan because I don't count those. You're not sanctioning picks. that? 
Well, we're going compound B, so be ready. All right. Yeah. Round two, Jonathan. Um, so I had my, my um, I had my round two, and now I, did, I got uh, distracted by all, all this whole process exciting comp round talk. I'm going to take Sam Carlson, um, who I've, I might guess it might be uh, Jim's pick also, but uh, Carlson's the high school right-hander, big high school right-hander from Minnesota. Um, Jim, I don't know about you now, but every time I talk about a guy from like a cold-weather state, I can hear Harold Reynolds waxing eloquent about how much he loves guys from cold-weather states, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but Carlson was a guy that, like talent-wise, could have gone in the, the middle of the first round. We had heard he might go... Uh, late in the first round, and for the Mariners to get him in the second round of 55, I think, uh, was a, a, a very good get for them. Jim? Yeah, and I'd agree with that. He would be my pick. You guys have heard me rave about how much I love Sam Carlson and how high school ratings go lower than they should. But the other guy I'd mention is Matt Sauer to the Yankees, right ahead of mm-hmm. Sam Carlson. Same type of thing. I mean, we're talking about a six-four projectable righty who's already hit 97, has a very hard slider, um, you know, this is a guy who also had first-round talent who should, who should have gone about 20 or 30 spots higher than he did. And I think when he got picked, we all kind of went, aha, and it finally made sense as to why the Yankees had taken Clark Schmidt in the first round when he's recovering from Tommy John surgery. I, basically, I, I would think that Sauer's probably going to get close to the first-round slot and Clark Schmidt will get closer to the second-round slot. But you couldn't have gotten them both unless you picked them in this order. So I, I thought it was a, a, a very nice value here in round two, and also good strategy by the Yankees in round two. All right, competitive balance B, you each get 10 seconds to make your decision. Jim? <laughs> I'm going to go to Connor Usselton. I uh, thought he, had a, he should have gone in the second round. thought that was a real nice pickup for the Pirates. Power and some tools to go with the power as well. Jonathan? I'll take Blake Hunt, uh, good defensive-minded catcher. Uh, the Padres took it in, at uh, 69th overall pick, uh, had some late helium. Uh, kind of a Austin Hedges type. Now, we talked about this a little bit. You make the move from round two or the competitive balance B round to round three. That's day two. So teams get a chance to kind of, you know, settle back in, make contact with some of these players and agents, see who's still signable. So it adds kind of a different element to the round three selections and maybe round four and five to a lesser degree. Um, So back to you, Jim, round three, who made the best choice? Tim, first I'm going to ask you a quick question. To show how well you know us, who am I going to pick and who is Jonathan going to pick in this round? Uh, you are going to pick Blaine Enlow, and Jonathan's going to take Nick Allen. That's my you're prediction. Correct. That's and, my but prediction. You're at least 50% correct, and I believe you'll be 100% correct. But, yes, Blaine <laughs> Enlow, again, high school right-hander. I thought he had the talent to go toward the end of the first round. Best curveball in the draft. Really like this guy. You know, his stock slipped a little bit because he was, after being 90, 94 consistently on the showcase circuit last year, he was more 88, 92 this spring. You know, that's not atypical. You know, gee, the guy threw harder when it was warmer. Like, that doesn't, that never happens. But he's like 6'4", 190. He's going to get stronger. That curveball is a wipeout curve. Tremendous pick for the Twins to get that guy at the top of round three. Now, Jonathan, when Nick Allen didn't go on day one, I was I was worried that maybe you wouldn't get the chance to talk about Nick Allen during the draft coverage. But he came through on day two, round three. Nick Allen. Now, feel free to go a different direction, but why? Well, I, I almost take want to just cause, but no. Come on, really? Of course, I'm going to talk about Nick Allen. Um, yeah, I found out after day one that there was uh, a certain. Uh, price tag or assignability ask, however you want to put it, 
uh, and that's why he didn't go day one, uh, but was told you know, that there was a good chance he was going to go early in day two, and the A's took him with the sixth pick in the round, and you know, best defender in the draft. He's, you know, smaller. Otherwise, you know, he probably would have gone in the first round where he where he probably should have. But once he slid out of the first round, then I think the dollar figure came into play a little bit more. I, you know, I think he has a chance to be a really good everyday shortstop uh, at the major league level. And uh, I'm excited to see him get going and continue to prove people who think he can't do it because of his size wrong. All right, and staying with you, Jonathan, for round four, this is where things get a little interesting, I think, because we're getting deeper into the draft pool. Right, uh, and not as many guys that were sort of uh, reached for. Um, I'm not sure that I have a – can I pass? Um, I'm just kidding. I would think that I'm going to go with James Marinan. I will go for, for a guy who slipped. Uh, in round Shockingly four, another the, high school right-hander, which is to the Dodgers. I love him. What can I say? No, um, I, and I don't, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but of course I did because I did. The reason we're picking so many high school righties is that they're the one commodity that tends to slide lower than they should. And if you're not afraid to take high school right-handers, you can get really good values with them. Right, right. And I don't know if we've mentioned this at all, Tim, over the course of the draft or recently, uh, but. Uh, everyone's going to sign, you know, all but two from last year's top 10 round side. I don't know if that had came to up get that stat in there, didn't you? Um, right. So uh, when we're taking a high school right-hander in the fourth round, um, then uh, he's going to sign. And, you know, Marinin was a kind of pop-up guy uh, who, uh, jumped onto radar screen and people were pouring in. And sometimes those guys don't continue, but he continued to throw, really well. That's why we had him ranked 65th. Um, so I imagine he's going to get second round money-ish, uh, something like that, although I don't know the exact details yet. But I do, I do assume uh, that, uh, that he is going to sign, and uh, that's, that's some good upside in the fourth round for the Dodgers. All right, Jim, fourth round to you. I'm going to go with the pick right behind James Marinan, who, who I also would have picked because I, I love the high school righties as well. But I took Jake Thompson from Oregon yep. State. Um, like the Red it. Sox took right after him. You see him in the College World Series uh, this weekend uh, for Oregon State, fifty-four and four. And it's just, Jonathan, you made a comment I think at one point, and I agree with it. This, you know, not a guy I covered as much because he was in your half of the country, but uh, Jake Thompson is one of those guys. I always expected that people would like him a little bit more than it, than it seemed, like from the from the team standpoint. Because I mean, here's a guy who had a lot of success, uh, you know, as a starter in a top program, and he's got a mid-nineties fastball and a good slider and a good change-up, and he's throwing more strikes this year. Uh, you know, I know he doesn't have the longest track record, but I, I don't know. I, I thought he had the stuff where you could have maybe gotten him in the second round. So I, I really like that pick for the Red Sox. All right, and Jim, finally round five. So we're, we're serpentining again. We've been serpentining. You just threw I know, a I wrench in it. I, with the, uh, well, I, well, this one, this one I think is an obvious one. I, I was see. I was stalling for time there as I was scanning the fifth round because I had not, <laughs> not prepped the fifth round, uh, and, and you 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 exposed that. But uh, to me, this is an obvious one. I'll, I'll stick with the Red Sox, um, as Jonathan said. You know, I, you know, we're assuming these guys are all signable because they went high, and I was a little surprised that Alex Scherf lasted until the 161st pick in the draft. I mean, he has a first round arm. I, I thought he was going to go in, in the second round. Texas high school right-hander, Gatorade State Player of the Year. I mean. 
Guys hit 98 this spring, hold his velocity deep in the games. It's a strong 6'2", 210 frame. Uh, he's got a really good changeup, advanced changeup. I mean, it would be one of the handful of best changeups in the draft. Um, there's a little bit of question about field of spin. The delivery isn't necessarily the most smooth and polished. Um, you know, there's some makeup concerns tied greatly to the fact that his dad kind of directed him to change schools. It would have been four high schools in four years, except for transfer rules made it only three high schools in four years. But, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, was a definite second-round talent and I think an absolute steal in the fifth round. All right, Jonathan, you're last. I'm going to break the string. I'm going to go junior college and take Andrew Bechtold, who the Twins got at the top of the fifth round. And, um, you know, the more I talked to people about Bechtold and then saw, you know, the year that he had and what he did, uh, he was one of ten guys from Chipola to get drafted. Chipola won the Junior College World Series, and Bechtold just hit a ton. Um, and I think the best line I got from any scout and uh, talking about him, because he had been at Maryland, and then uh, you know, got banged up a little bit and came back and then was basically told that he wasn't going to play every day and he'd have to be a part-time player. And he said, nah, I'm going to go someplace where I can play. And the scout said that he proved that he would not only be an everyday player, but be a number three hitter for just about any college program in the country. You know, I think he fits the third base profile really well. He's a solid defender. He's going to stay there. Um, I think it's really, really good value in the fifth round. I think he has a chance to be a, an everyday third baseman when, when all is said and done. You know, I know junior college numbers, you know, can't compare necessarily to the SEC, uh, but he, he did it, and he did it throughout the Junior College World Series uh, on a ridiculous team. Uh, but I would imagine that, you know, he and Reynaldo Rivera, who went ahead of him, uh, were the two guys that opposing teams didn't want to let beat them, and both of them often did. So, I, you know, I, I like uh, the Twins' get of getting Beck told there. All right, great stuff, and uh, a lot of these players in action this week. If you want to tune in, obviously, the College World Series getting going in Omaha. A lot of the players drafted earlier this week will be playing in that for a national title at the college level. We will start to shift gears a little bit on the podcast next week, away from the draft and back towards the prospect side of things, but I'm sure we'll still reflect a little bit back on the draft again next week. That'll do it for this edition of the Pipeline Podcast. For Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.